Hello and welcome to Soft Spot episode number 62. If you're a new listener, my name is Chelsea Hamishin and I'm the Vice President of Marketing and Events for the Global Soft Foundation. I am also the host of our podcast, Soft Spot. As these devastating events unfold in Ukraine, we felt that it was important to add some interviews with subject matter experts on the Eastern European region to our programming to help frame some of these events and provide some regional points of view on what's happening. And because it is such a fast-moving situation, I want to point out that this interview was recorded on March 16th, 2022. Our guest today is General Riho Teres, who among many accolades is the former Chief of Defense of Estonia and currently a member of the European Parliament. He joined me to discuss his views of the war in Ukraine, how the Russians' attempt at a blitzkrieg failed, and what support he thinks the U.S. and its allies need to provide. And then if we want to break it down... Global Foundation. My immediate reaction was, "This is awesome." For special you have our support. Let's move. Welcome to Softspot, General Terrace. Thanks for joining me today. If you could start us off by giving us a brief background of yourself and your career. As a conscript, many years ago, I've served on the Russian ship three years and three months. Uh, in their uh, northern fleet and Mediterranean and um, and everywhere else. Uh, then uh, after their regaining the independence, so I uh, joined uh, Estonian Defence Forces, served there until 2018. My last position was Chief of Defence for seven years. I've been member of the military committee of NATO for seven years uh, and uh, and during the the war 2014 uh, I, I visited uh, Ukraine and we were supporting Ukraine in many in many military areas as uh, and after the war 2008 in Georgia I was one of the first to be on the spot to take the lessons learned from from that uh, that war as well so and uh, now, three days before the war started on, on 20 of February, I was in, in Donbass, uh, just 500 meters away from the Russian positions, looking in the, in the eyes of, of, the, of the Russian soldiers, together with uh, my friend, uh, Lieutenant General Zaborotsky, who is there hero of Ukraine from the first 2014 independence war and who is now in the parliament in in the group which uh, is uh, related to our uh, European People's Party. So that is my expertise. I still have uh, friends and contacts in in Ukraine and and, uh, try to talk to them uh, every day. So what is your take on the current situation in Ukraine as it stands today? Well, uh, looking back uh, in these uh, uh, days for, uh, from 2024, 4th of February, I'd say the first uh, the Russian um, strategy was uh, blitzkrieg, a quick war to gain uh, to gain control over the government in Kiev. Uh, they uh, were not expecting any resistance. Uh, not from the Ukrainian army 
and especially not from the Ukrainian people. They uh, hoped to be celebrated uh, with the flowers, which didn't happen in any of their uh, uh, any of their attack axes. Uh, I think they were expecting to take uh, very quickly Kharkiv, which is uh, largely Russian-speaking city. They uh, wanted to make a quick move to Mariupol, which is in a key uh, area to get the uh, land uh, connection to Crimea, Crimea. Uh, and, um, and in, in any in none of these areas, uh, and especially in the Donbas area, they have not made the progress they expected uh, to do. Um, after 10 days, they saw that the resistance is uh, really heavy and, and, uh, and their approach uh, to, to use at least five, uh, uh, five different uh, attacks uh, from five different directions uh, was not successful at all uh, because they were not concentrating their forces to one uh, strategic goal. They tried to take everything with the same force. So they had to start to find reserves. And in order to do so and reorganize, uh, they started to bomb civilian cities to, uh, to significantly harm the resistance of the population. But it had completely uh, different, uh, different outcome. The people now really are mobilizing to, uh, to fight for Ukraine against the Russian occupiers more than they ever were before that. So there's more Ukraine today as it was uh, two weeks ago. Um, I think uh, one of the more important goals was to, uh, to capture uh, Zelensky, President Zelensky, uh, in order to decapitate the leadership. Uh, didn't succeed. Succeed with they didn't succeed with that, and Zelensky has become a national hero. He was very, very powerful now. He is very powerful now, and even taking him away today will just make him even bigger hero and will unite the people even more. So that doesn't make sense anymore. Um, and and we see in different uh, areas that Russians are using. Uh, really old tactics, really Second World War type tactics, mass, massive people, but no real military, um, say, art of war. And, uh, and they, they not, did not expect that their spring is the worst time for, uh, for that kind of uh, advance or attack. Uh, so, uh, in the coming weeks, there will be much more muddy ter terrain. Uh, the tanks are already uh, not getting uh, out of the of, of the mud, uh, and of course, Ukrainians are very capable of using small groups tactic with uh, very capable uh, anti-tank weapons, anti-air weapons, and they are causing real harm to the Russian soldiers and the fighting spirit of the Russians is almost non-existent. And I think today the most important knowledge from yesterday is, uh, that's the day uh, 16 of March, uh, that uh, Lukashenko officially announced that they will not join Russia in this uh, campaign. 
Okay, of course, the territory has been used from the very first day, but that shows that um, uh, that Belarusian army doesn't want to fight the Ukrainians first and the second. Lukashenko is uh, uh, is always uh, trying to look forward, and if he sees that Russia is about to lose the war, so he would not be does not want to be part of this uh, this project. So I think that is a positive news, but still. Russians are very strong in the air. Uh, thankfully enough, uh, Ukrainians were able to save big amount of their air force uh, because of their probably American intelligence uh, given to them. Uh, and they are still operating in the air, but there's not enough uh, airpla- airplanes to, to fight uh, for the air superiority. But the Russians have no air superiority in this air as well. So the, they still they they have much more planes, much more capable uh, indirect fire weapons like uh, artillery or rocket systems, Iskander caliber, etc. Uh, but uh, but they're not uh, having air superiority uh, in in the air over Ukraine, uh, and so that is the area where the Western world needs to carefully look at. The army soldiers are capable to fight from Ukrainian side, but the Air Force need to be very significantly improved, be it with their S-300 or other that type uh, anti-air missiles or even airplanes. Thank you. So there's been a lot of talk about the the will of the people. You said you were looking into the eyes of the, the Russian soldiers. And then, you know, the Ukrainians are obviously doing much, you know, much more than people expected. What, how do you think that that's playing into this? And, you know, why do the Russians not have the will to fight while the Ukrainians do? Well, it's, it's probably very difficult to explain to them that the Ukrainians, especially those who speak uh, Russian in these uh, Donbass areas, are Nazis. And the special difficulties to believe that the Jewish Russian-speaking president of Ukraine is a Nazi. That uh, concept doesn't uh, might look uh, nice in in Kremlin, but uh, but it's really not uh, what people believe. Second thing, many of these young men from Russia have been brought to the so-called exercises and given them the task which they don't know. And I think the biggest change um, from the military point of view is that the difference is that uh, that the Ukrainians are using Auftrags tactic, uh, but the Russians do not, uh, and uh, and therefore the Ukrainians have concentrated themselves of taking out the leadership, colonels and generals uh, of, of the troops. So they will leave the rest of the troops without the decision makers. So I think these things play a role here, a significant role. Uh, and the will of the will of, of uh, to fight uh, is decreasing every day because the Ukrainians are uh, aiming at logistics, at uh, fuel, at food. Uh, and so the soldiers of Russian army do not have... Uh, uh, food, they do not have enough fuel to heat their uh, armored vehicles uh, and and they uh, and the javelins and the Bayraktar drones are very dangerous for them uh, on the night time. So um, that of course all plays uh, well to the morale of the people and on the other side the Ukrainians see that the Russians kill their daughters and uh, children 
So it makes you angry and then you fight better. I mean, you have seen that uh, it is said that 200,000 Ukrainians uh, from all over the world have returned to Ukraine to fight for their country, uh, which of course shows the spirit. And the other thing which um, you uh, would not imagine is that the president has so big trust in his Ukrainian people that they give weapons to everybody who comes back. I mean, not controlling, not the, the, the army is not making any any big uh, inquiries or verification or vetting. They just take the Ukrainians and the Ukrainians fight. Uh, all of them, uh, really, all of them. Yeah, we talked to um, a Ukrainian yesterday and he was talking about how even the people who used to be in the pro-Russian parties are now just no longer pro-Russian, they're pro-Ukraine and everyone's fighting together. Even some of the few uh, real communists in the European Parliament have now considering that they have lived in the wrong world for, for years. So yes, uh, that is what is happening. But the war is not won yet. So Europe, um, US and all uh, like-minded nations need to understand that that is not the Ukrainian war with Russia. It's the Western uh, West who is fighting. And I see that Americans are not doing enough, on my opinion right now, to help, them, uh, to help the uh, Ukrainians. So I really think that... Uh, and air defense assets with the planes and even with probably with the coalition of willing to uh, at least uh, arrange our air defense uh, cover to rear areas of, of Ukraine, to the Western areas of Ukraine, to give them the safe haven for the humanitarian uh, refugees or the safe haven for the refugees and give them the possibility to get the resupply from West. I think that should be done. And we should not be afraid of Putin. Uh, we should uh, face the, the threat as it is and uh, fight the threat as it is. It is, I call it, I mean, the Americans, I think, call it chicken game. Uh, Russians or Putin is driving 200 um, miles per hour in our direction and waiting until we turn away. We should not turn away. We should we should take we should face this because he has nothing uh, to uh, to uh, to back himself up. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people agree with you on that point. Certainly, we're taking a quick break to talk about one of the organizations that helps enable our foundation to do the work that we do. A global soft founding partner, Maxar. Maxar is a trusted partner and innovator in earth intelligence and space infrastructure. They deliver disruptive value to government and commercial customers to help them monitor, understand, and navigate our changing planet, deliver global broadband communications, and explore and advance the use of space. Their unique approach combines decades of deep mission understanding and a proven commercial and defense foundation to deploy solutions and deliver insights with unrivaled speed, scale, and cost effectiveness. Maxar's 4,000 team members in 20 global locations are inspired to harness the potential of space to help their customers create a better world. You can learn about them at maxar.com. That's M-A-X-A-R.com. And thank you again to Maxar for the longtime support of the Global Soft Foundation. Back to the interview. 
for people who maybe don't quite understand how important this is, can you kind of explain why it is so important that everyone is in this fight and what the implications would be if Putin were to succeed? Well, uh, first of all, uh, it is uh, he, he will not step back. He's, he has announced that it is not Ukraine that he's fighting. He's, it is NATO. It is US he wants to take uh, to fight. And, and if he succeeds in Ukraine, then he will take uh, next steps. And then, we, then he will for sure try to challenge NATO. Perhaps not today, but anyway tomorrow. Uh, so uh, we cannot live in this kind of situation. And, and be, be assured, if that happens, we would have we would face a real Cold War situation pretty soon. Uh, and we will, we will have decades where the whole economy goes to the military, uh, military uh, power from both sides. And that is not what we want. That is not what we, we can avoid it today. If we, if we let um, uh, him take Ukraine, uh, then, then it's much closer the situation. So, uh, and, and, and I try to tell the people in Berlin, they always ask me whether, uh, where, what, what do we feel in Estonia? What is the feeling in Tallinn? So are we afraid? I ask my Berlin people, my Berlin friends, uh, dear friends, do you know how far is Kiev from Berlin? Uh, and then they found out that the Kiev from Berlin is exactly the same distance as it is from Tallinn. Uh, and Berlin has been occupied by, by the Russians also since '45, uh, and, uh, and being members of NATO, Germany and Estonia. So we face actually exactly the same threat. And there's no difference if you live in New York, in Berlin or in Tallinn. Uh, if, if he uh, hits NATO... Uh, then it is all of us in the war. And I should remind uh, the Americans that uh, the moment uh, Twin Towers were attacked, the whole of Europe was standing ne uh, 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 next to them, united, and not only the NATO countries, but the rest of the world as well. That should be remembered on the other side of the ocean. Yes, yes, very. That's a very powerful reminder, certainly. You talked a little bit about, you know, the spring being a bad time, using the old World War II tactics. For someone who was supposed to be such, you know, a military, you know, mastermind, why do you think Putin is making these decisions? Do you think he actually is a madman? You know, has he lost it, as some people say? Or do you think there's a greater strategy? Or was he just power hungry? First of, first of all, I think um, he's not mad in the, in the sense of uh, clinics, uh, clinically. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think he uh, uh, has um, uh, a, little, a slight schizophrenia. So <laughs> sometimes he acts pretty normal and sometimes he does not. I think the main problem is about the assumptions. And I think um, uh, people around him, and we have seen it um, uh, long before uh, uh, the war started, uh, in the Soviet system, in, in this kind of a dictatorships, uh, people want to br bring their bosses information which the bosses like. And so that, um, uh, that has caused uh, the situation where the, the reality about the armed forces was not really uh, brought to him and and especially the the attitude of ukrainian people 
because they really were thinking that Ukraine is easy to take because it is the same nation. I mean, they they really think that uh, that it is the same nation, and and the Ukrainians, sorry to say, don't think so. <laughs> they, they have they had their own idea. Uh, I remember it was 2007 in in Munich conference security conference where Putin said that uh, Crimea belongs to Russia and Ukraine is not a nation. Uh, and and since that time, he followed his uh, his path to to make sure that everybody will understand that that way. Um, uh, but it is he is all, also an opportunist, and I think there very shaky situation in the world. The coronavirus, the Europe uh, not standing in very high, very strong feet, and the US uh, uh, US uh, in in a politician political situation. Uh, was uh, all have brought him to the to the understanding that perhaps he can do something, uh, and nobody will really uh, sanction him. Uh, I think he has now some big, bigger sanctions on him as as uh, the North Korean leader ever had. So uh, and the, and the Russian economy will collapse. The question is how long it will take, and will that. Will Ukraine still survive uh, till that moment? And that is not forgiven because there's still big Russia which attacking a small Ukraine, even though Ukraine is 40 million people. So there's been a lot of talk about, you know, his misinformation campaigns and how he has attempted to make it a North Korea situation, as you said, with only, you know, their media. But you said earlier that you don't think that that messaging is really resonating with the people, at least not as much anymore. Um, do you think that that's failing just because there's so many outlets for information these days and it's you know too late to turn off all of those back channels of information, even though he's trying? Well, the first of all, there are three, uh, three things which play, uh, which play important role in this uh, so-called psychological warfare. The one is, um, and that's now about Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainians need to believe in their government. It was not forgiven. And it was one of the assumptions that the Ukrainians do not. But today, it's absolutely sure that uh, from, from, from the president to the mayor of Kiev or any other mayor of any city, people are behind them. People are fighting for their political system and for their politicians, uh, which means uh, this war is won by Zelensky by far. The second thing is, in these kind of conflicts, you need to make sure that your allies and friends believe your story better than the other story. And that is what is happening in, in Ukraine. People really believe, I mean, the European people, the American people really believe that, uh, that Zelensky is right and Putin is wrong. So he has lost that game as well. He, he can tell whatever lies to the Europeans, uh, like... Uh, um, Lavrov in uh, in the, in Turkey, as he said, that we have not attacked Russia, uh, Ukraine, uh, but nobody believes it. That's another big uh, gain or big win from the Ukrainian side. And the third thing is the propaganda, and the propaganda it works inside Russia. It still it works because even though we see the street arrests and riots, but uh, 8,000 uh, 8, uh, uh, protesting people 
against one and one one hundred thirty million, it is not that much. I mean, uh, that that needs to be hundreds of thousands if if something uh, would change, and that this has not happened. So the people in Russia uh, have the narrative of Ukrainian Nazi state, which is absolutely ridiculous, and they all in their deep heart they know it, but they they are given this. Uh, this lie every day by all channels, all different channels, and and every open source, uh, real uh, say, uh, real journalism is completely closed, and uh, they have they even have closed some pages, some Estonian newspaper pages now to, <laughs> for, for the Russians, so they they cannot see that as well. So uh, this is the fight we need still to fight to get to the Russian people. But I think one uh, one way to get to them uh, has been uh, these dead bodies of of young soldiers who uh, who are cremated. They even don't bring them home uh, on the body bags because they don't want them to tell the stories of the war. So it's it, they are cremated. So wow, that's awful. Do you do you recommend anything that normal citizens who are not near the war can do to help? So, you know, there's a lot of people in the U.S. who want to support. Is there something our regular citizens can do? Is there somewhere we could donate or supplies we could donate? Or do you have any uh, ideas or insight into anything like that? Well, the Ukrainians need everything. And in Europe already, there's almost no helmets and body armors to buy because everybody has sent that Estonian Rotary Club has, has sent 30 ambulance cars full with uh, medical equipment to, to Ukraine in the last two days. I mean, Estonia has one million people, but, uh, but there's law. We have to uh, receive the, the children and the women as the refugees and help them however we can. And everybody is welcome to, to take some of them. Uh, I, I have uh, helped one, one, one lady and try thinking uh, to get some children to my home as well. Uh, and and uh, and the main most important thing to tell your government that uh, this is not the war uh, for Ukrainians; it's the war of Americans with Russia, and that um, that they need to do more. Okay, send the planes. Quite honestly, send the planes. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for your time, sir. Really appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Soft Spot is the podcast of the Global Soft Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit based in Tampa, Florida, and the only professional association for the international special operations community. It's produced, edited, and hosted by me, Chelsea Hamishan. If you liked what you heard, subscribe and give us a five-star review. To learn more about the Global Soft Foundation, visit us online at gsoft.org. That's gulfsierraoctoberfoxtrot.org.